I'd ask that you take your Bibles with me now and turn to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. So we continue our study of the book of Matthew together. Last week, having taken up this understanding of Christ and his mission for sheep and for grain, an understanding of that abundant harvest that is there, that which he is raising up a people to go out and do the works that he has prepared beforehand for them to do. But now coming to that call, specifically to those who would be listed as the twelve, but also then understanding that bit now of what is our call and responsibility as servants of the Lord, but also the wonder then of the differences that are ours. And so not all diversity in that way is a bad thing, even if some have taken that term and made it sound like or be something that is very different than what we'd want to speak here in the life of the body. And so let's hear this word together, Matthew chapter 10. We just take these first four verses, not our ten four verses, not wanting to separate them from what comes before, and so certainly be looking through those verses even as we preach. I'd invite you to take your, or leave your Bibles open. But let's hear these verses together. Matthew 10, beginning at verse 1, hear now the word of the Lord. And he, Jesus, called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. And to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God, it stands forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, Lord, we come before that which we know, that which we've heard. But Father, a word that speaks again to those who would be sent out into that mission that is yours, that was yours, that still is yours. A call, Father, to servants then who share in that, to a church, Father, who shares in a great commission. And Father, that does so in a diversity of who we are, of where we've come from, of what we know and the gifts you have given. And so, Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit would be pleasing to you, that you would use these words, Father, as your words, that, Father, you would let nothing come in the way of the receipt of them, and that your name would be praised, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. children of God called to be saints, the Lord has been sent for a great mission. And certainly in not wanting to repeat last week's sermon, what we come to in that understanding is the wonder of what is promised, an abundant harvest. That that is always before us as God's people. And no matter where that harvest is being gathered in and into, no, into whichever church in that time is, is fuller or less full or whatnot in the ways that churches proceed through the, the days and years and ages, we recognize that God is being faithful to his word. That we have every, every possible reason to trust, to know that as we go out to that mission, that there will be success in it in the way that he defines success. That there will be a harvest, not maybe, not if we work hard or serve hard or I will do my work. I will accomplish my purpose 
and I call you to faithfulness in it. And so Christ has been faithful, sent to do not his own will, but the will of his Father, called to teach, called to proclaim, called to heal. He was sent to see his people, to know them, even in that that hearkening back to the Exodus account before this begins, that the Lord saw and he knew. And so now Christ, firsthand, taking on our flesh, is there amongst his people. He sees and he knows, and more than that, shows compassion on that people. Because they were as sheep without a shepherd. Here is the good shepherd doing the work among his sheep. And again, sent and called to a word of an abundant harvest. As your Bibles are open, look back at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Not will be, not is still coming, it is. But the laborers are few. Both are true. And the reality of that still remains. And so through this talk of his mission, of setting up the overarching theme of the next several sermons, frankly, what we have here now are those that need to be called. And it's an interesting process even as we consider our own church polity, even as we would consider the election of office bearers, even as we would think of bringing those into committees by way of assent or approving those who would teach among us. That as we see in the example of Christ, here are a people who have been given to his teaching, who know those doctrines, who have followed after him who now have taken up this call to pray. Pray to the Lord of harvest that he would send workers into the harvest fields. That those selections, that those decisions, that that movement of that body would be determined and governed more began in that activity of praying. And then it's going out to do the work. To continue by the power of that prayer to go out and to call sinners to repentance to call out to that Lord of the harvest to do that work in and through those workers who would be chosen. And now here in Matthew 10, those are chosen. There are those who are set apart. And they are not called then to their own work. That Jesus, in setting these men apart, isn't saying, I call you to do a new thing. Or I call you to neglect that harvest field. Or I just want you to set up groups of ethnic people who will come and hang out and help each other and teach each other, but will be void of my mission to the nation. No, you're doing my work. That you will continue, even as I do from the right hand of my Father in heaven, you will continue to do my work among my people in gathering all of that people from every tongue and tribe and nation. In that same calling, to do not their will, but the will of the Father in heaven. To see, to look out at the world with eyes of compassion, but then sent out. Not taking anything up for themselves, but going out in chosen authority to go forth and show the wisdom of God's chosen diversity. And so that's what we want to see tonight in this call to his mission for sheep and grain. That as that call comes to us and the church, that's what we need to recognize. That's what we go out in, in appreciating the authority of the called, but then also appreciating the diversity of the called. 
until we see that call of authority in verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples. That first here, they are chosen and, and I want you to hear that word carefully, make that connection. They are chosen and given the Lord's calling. Because all of his people were called to follow. That is what, come follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, live the life of disciples. Some have been called. In fact, already in our study of the book of Matthew, we read of the calling of Simon Peter and Andrew, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, again back in Matthew 4. We've already read the call of Levi of Matthew back in Matthew 9 verse 9. We will see in the scriptures how he selects 120, how there's a 72. Now here we come to the 12. Here we come to the inner circle. For these 12 are chosen for something different. There's something distinct that is only theirs that we can't make a one-for-one to today. Other than in talking about the authority that God gives to us for his service. He calls to him his 12 disciples. And it isn't just the beauty of Matthew because this happens in the other gospels as well. But it doesn't say why. We never come to an accounting of the disciples' names where Jesus says, Peter, I'm choosing you uh, because you're really bold and you kind of rush into things and you're kind of a get-or-done kind of person, but I need to teach you how to think and so It's never there. You'd love to see it. What was it about them? What gifts did they have? What did they bring to the table? Why were they selected? Why was this... I mean... In our way, kids, when we, when we try out for sports teams or we try out for a choir or whatever it might be, right? Like, there's an understanding of, of excellence, of standard, of this is why you were chosen or this is why you were cut. That isn't here. So, of course, we say simply God's good pleasure, but it doesn't say anything of their usefulness. No, the only thing that is important And our takeaway this evening is that it's about the Lord's choosing and calling of the brothers. That's it. Why? We don't know. For what reason? We don't know. The meaningful aspect is his calling. But that serves a dual purpose. Not only then does it become identification, here are the 12 disciples, and we'll talk more about that next term in the next point, but but it also serves now as a a part of their ministry. It's the confidence that they go out to serve their labors with. Because Jesus hasn't said, at least in the scriptures recorded for us, saying, Peter, these are your gifts, these are your pros, these are your cons, and this is what I'm going to have you do. You're called to follow and serve. In whatever way I call you to follow and serve, And that's enough. The confidence they serve with is what? I am his chosen. I am his called out servant. And I have been called to follow. A following they've lived. And now are given a place by way of his authority to lead and teach other followers. And so in that way as we come and are called out of darkness into the light of the Lord, 
And we're called to, to serve him. Each of us called, not just pastors. All of us in our various callings are called. And some to other callings of pastor or elder or deacon. You've been called and chosen. For what reason? His own good pleasure. Yes, you have gifts. We'll talk about that later. But it lays upon you a demand. I must follow. I must serve. I must not abandon my office. I must not throw away that calling. I give myself because I'm his choice. And I might not know why. But I will trust in him. Being left then with no other option but to serve wholly and to serve well. And so they are called then by God, but they're also then, these twelve, given something from him. They are chosen and then given the Lord's authority. Hear that, not just authority. They're given the Lord's authority. Verse 1, and he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority. This is my gift to you. And so in that way, it is a derived authority. It is not Christ. They are not coming to people saying, I now am Christ or equal to Christ. No, it's a derived authority insofar as what they say and speak is in accord with the person and work of the Lord and the truth of his revealed word. Yet it's that authority that sets them apart. It is that authority that makes them worthy of double honor. It is that authority that they are now set apart and chosen and given not just the Lord's authority, but will be given the Lord's work. Because they are set apart for that which is apostolic. Sent out from the Lord, not to remain, but to go. To do the ministry of work that the Lord has done and now gives them to do in order to make him known. That's the point, to make his name known, to make his word known, to make his work known, and more by way of that authority to authenticate his word and the proclamation of it. And so the power then in being given that authority is that it gives them license and access to be called and sent out to his work. They are to proclaim the power of the word of the gospel of the kingdom. But also to manifest that world of work of spiritual and physical healing, even as they were used to work among his people in calling them to a better kingdom. To do the work of the kingdom of opposing darkness with the light that destroys powers and principalities. And so they're chosen and given the Lord's calling. They're chosen and given the Lord's authority. But it lands then on that work in this point. They are chosen and given the Lord's work over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every affliction. That here he is saying, you are called not just to a work, not just to an earthly work, not just to social good, You are called to kingdom work. You are called to kingdom labor. You are called to my work of restoration and reconciliation to care for the people as under shepherds for their good and God's glory in grace and peace. You have authority over unclean spirits. They can do nothing to you. In fact, at your word, they are gone. They will be sent out and cast out in the truth that I have given to you. 
to heal every disease and every affliction. Hear that word, every. None of it has mastery over you, even as I have mastery over all of it. That they are entrusted with far-reaching power to deal. And again, the word to underline here is every. There is nothing that will stand in the way of the work of my kingdom. Every disease, every affliction, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, I'm enough. And now by way of that word, I will go forth through you to the same. Because that link to Christ is still there. This is not these men. It is not their cunning. It is not their power. It is his. Look back again. Matthew 4.23, the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That is the wonder of this authority. And more, the wonder of the fact that a good and almighty God and his son Jesus Christ gives that authority to people like us. Who perhaps are a simple people. Who don't look at our own gifts as being anything remotely extraordinary or awesome who could go through the scriptures and list all the excuses that men who have been called to serve could list out. I'm not able, I'm left-handed, I don't speak well. And he says, no, I will have you. And what you are is not as important as what I am. And what I give to you and what I entrust to you. And so that is true for every one of us in the office of believers with that anointing as prophets, priests, and king. That is no less true of you deacons and you elders in the offices that you have been set apart and called to. Recognized in that office, affirmed in the same, and ordained to the same. It is no different in the role of pastor. This is what he has granted. And so recognize your calling. Recognize what has been entrusted to you. And if you have been placed and given, called to, ordained to, a place of authority in our midst, recognize it in the light and call of Christ. You are not the authority in the church Christ is. You are not here as first ruler, you are here first as servant. What he has given you is a gift, one that should humble us in each and every way. And for those of you who aspire to a good thing, those that we will pray over and speak about at our next meeting of saying, who is called and set apart by God to serve in our midst, be humbled in the same. That the calling is not the end of the matter. That the investing of those gifts is not the thing. The service is. He gives you means. He equips the called. But that's his gift. And he will use it for his glory and for your good. Recognize that the Lord uses all kinds of different people in that service. But it's not about them. It gives testimony to him, to his calling and his equipping. 
But it also gives testimony to the genius of the diversity that he calls out as well, and that in the second place. Because as we look at this text tonight and recognize that kind of diversity, at first when we hear that word, we might not think that's a great thing. I mean, we want people around who are like us, who understand us, who speak like us, who get us. But there is vital unity here because they are called to one Savior and they are called to one mission. That mission for sheep and grain, that's the thing. Here is your singular mission. All of the troops together, the 120, the 72, and now you 12. Here is the thing. But yet one now that Christ is saying, but I have given you something for that task, to be leaders in that task. A task that would first lead them to the 12 tribes of Israel. There's no mistake in the number of men who have been selected by Christ. Certainly that number making clear reference that they would first go to the lost tribes of Israel. That the word needed to go out into Jerusalem, even as later it would have to go out into all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But here is where it would begin. To go out and to gather that true Israel from every tongue and tribe and nation. And so their very diversity then points to their mission. Because it isn't any longer a monolith people from one space or one location. The names, plural, of the 12 apostles are these. And here in the Gospels is the only use of the phrase, the 12 apostles. The only other place in the scriptures that they are linked is Revelation 21, 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They will be referenced as the twelve always, but here, in the light of that call on this mission for sheep and grain, what is the nature of your work? Do not forget within your diversity and your various gifts and where you will go, that one thing, you are sent out by me. One holy Catholic and apostolic church. You go out in my name and my authority to do the works that I have called you to in gathering my people. They are sent out in authority and calling and work, sent out to gather that people even to the ends of the earth to reach the end of the known world. And that is what he accomplishes. His word doesn't go out void. He is not sending them out onto a fool's errand. It bears fruit. Even early on, Mark 6.30, the apostles returned to Jesus after he sends them out and told him all that they had done and taught, faithful to the work, encouraged in the power and authority that he has given. But it's not about them. That in being pointed to that mission, never do they get to say, well, this was mine. Yeah, this is Peter's church over here. These are my gains. They didn't come together for a staff meeting and say, oh, well, I claim these and I claim this and mine had fruit. And, well, do you remember the first sermon that I will later preach? Like, we don't play that way. The church doesn't play that way. It ought not to speak that way. No, it's his. Their mission is his. The people that are brought in are his. The church that is gathered is his. 
And so whatever small part or large part or any part we play in that is a gift of him for which we are to give thanks. The diversity always points to the mission. He doesn't call one person. There is no pope among them as much as the Roman Catholic Church wants to claim Peter here. No. That diversity speaks to the diversity of his work in the places that he will send it out. And their diversity points to their service. Which in many ways, outside of a couple of names, is an anonymous service. That you think, children, of the number of the reformers where you can't find a gravesite, You can't go visit it on a tour. But yet they turn the world upside down. The number of people who have served the churches faithfully, and we remember the names Calvin or Luther or Beza. We remember names like Keller or Sproul. But how many others have been sent forth in the diversity of tasks and callings in order to serve God's people, to be under shepherds, faithful elders, faithful deacons in so many places who have their names recorded nowhere. It points to the service. Because even in our text tonight, for as many names as are listed here, and obviously you're like, well, it's 12, right? But very little is known about most of them. In fact, there are several of them that are using surnames or nicknames because some of the guys didn't want to go by Judas anymore. Go figure. You've got several who are named James, which was really Jacob because they were Jews. You have several Simons in the group. It wasn't about the names. It wasn't about whose families they were from, even though there are family connections, brothers serving together. It just speaks of the fact that they're ordinary guys. Nothing special in and of themselves, except that they have been called to an extraordinary service. Simply leaders, but not called to greatest greatness or notability, to popularity, none of it but just to the humble service of Christ and his word in his church. That's it. That's the point. They were leaders who were not elevated because of who they were or what they were or what they would do or what they had done. I've chosen you. I've given you this authority. I will give you what you need for the service as long or as short as it is. That in fact, for many of them, they are only noteworthy because they were martyred in his service. They were elevated at the calling and equipping and sending of Jesus Christ. That is what makes them noteworthy. It is that which makes all those who are called and chosen by God notable insofar as they make Christ and his glory known. It is simply a roll call of common people called to serve. Is that our understanding of service? I remember as a young man going to a a minister's and wives kind of get together. We needed the time. We had been called early on in our times of Wellsburg to a duo and 
and we didn't receive that call, and so we just needed to, to reorient ourselves for a while. And so we came to a place, and it was us, along with six other older Southern Baptist couples. So really the only truly Reformed in the room. But anyway, different story. But as we sat there, here were these men who were languishing over their legacy. What have I done? What will I be remembered for? Did my service matter? It's a huge idol that can happen in the hearts of any of God's servants. And as a younger man then, I remember saying, perhaps somewhat piously, but I hope that which I've continued to hold on to, Matt, what do you want to see from your ministry? And I answered very quickly, I want to be forgotten. And the one man was very annoyed with this, and he asked why. And I said, because we remember the best of the best, and we remember the worst of the worst. And so I would like in God's service to be forgettable, that Christ would be made known, that that's the service that we're called to, that we don't remember who did it or what did it or who brought what or how or when or who gave more or that Christ cared for us, that the gospel had its way with us. That sinners were called to repentance. That we were fed by the word. That we were cared for in authority. That kind of blessing. That that's the service we are called to render. Service of excellence. But at some point, that's what it is. Service rendered to the Lord. That's all. And so even here, the list begins with a group of fishermen. No education, no school, just the school of hard knots and the boat among the nets. First Simon, who is called Peter, the rock, who in that way Peter in every listing of the apostles always comes first. Because of that, there was a deference to his leadership. And yet, as one commentator writes, Peter was not called to be first above them, but first among them. Then are listed the rest of the first four. And Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. That in Christ's wisdom, he calls brothers. He calls family. That we as a church have said, you know what? That isn't a good idea in our house rules. But Jesus among the twelve says, this is what we need. He calls Philip, whose name means horse lover. Bartholomew, whose name, surname is Nathaniel, who wonders if anything good can come out of Nazareth, whose first interaction with Jesus is basically to dig a spur and to malign him rather than praise him. Thomas, the doubter who speaks his mind, let's go that we might die with him. His resolute doubts, I'm not going to believe until I touch him. This is when he calls. Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, who has no friends among the Jews. James, the son of Alphaeus, or James the younger, and Thaddeus, one of the men who doesn't want to use Judas, son of James. He calls Simon the zealot, who if we're going to look for tension in the group, comes Matthew, the 
one who keeps and upholds the values of Rome, and Simon who wants to, as a revolutionary, overthrow it by any means necessary. And now we have to work together. We have nothing in common. But they now do. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I'm going to call into my service one who I willingly know will undermine me, who will seek my end, and who will be used in my destruction. And I do it because that is who God calls. (laughs) It is a mind-blowing thing to think about even for a few minutes. That's who he calls. Into the midst of the faithful, that's who he called. Yet God didn't stop being sovereign. God didn't make a mistake. The other Judases, yes, in the list, referenced by other names that there would be no confusion that the Lord called someone to serve him who would betray him. Why? Because the Lord had need even of that. He had need of him. That the Lord would send him out with the same authority and the same mission to come back with the same report, to do the same mighty works, to proclaim the same gospel, but come to the end of it hardened. Let me find a way to betray him. This isn't the kingdom that I want. This isn't a kingdom that serves me. The Lord had need of one who would be used, even in his brokenness, to serve the narrative of salvation. See, that's the wonder of God's calling, isn't it? It's the wonder of this diversity because they all had a role to play. There are no small parts, just small actors, right? There's no small part. There's no small part of service. There's no more important or less important. It's all service of that one mission. The diversity is key, and it is no different for us in our various callings, be it office of believer or deacon or elder or pastor. Well, pastor, you're called. Well, I can't do my work if you're not here. And my children need to be taught Sunday school and catechism too. And they need to be cared for in youth group and in life group. And in cadets and in girls of faith. That my wife needs to be built up amongst those who participate in a women's Bible study. That encouragement needs to be given to those who don't like to travel at night to attend a Bible study during the day. To someone who cleans the toilets, to someone who sets up the meal, to someone who brings up tables, to someone who tests the water, to someone who checks the books out in the library. No small service. A diversity that speaks of a common mission of one thing. Because that diversity ultimately points to their and to our unity, because nothing unites them. And this is the wonder of this list, how it narrows itself down again. No other form of unity other than their calling from and commitment to and love for Jesus. That's the thing. 
Our authority and our diversity serve unto one end, the spread of his word, the work of kingdom service, the unity of the body of Jesus Christ, a body called out and brought together by proclamation of the word through the real and hearty restoration worked by the Holy Spirit according to the love and election of the Father for the glory of the triune God. That's the thing. That's the mission. That's why they are called. That's why we are called. But yet it resolves then and points to the blessing of our diversity. And I want to highlight that for you. Because children, I want you to think about when you play a game at school, whatever team sport it might be, and you have to pick your team. I hated this as a kid, although I'd rather pick because I was usually the kid picked last. But as you pick, you're trying to look at the makeup of what your team needs, right? I mean, if you were going to play an NBA basketball team, you don't want to pick all guys with a height of five foot or under. That would be an awful game. No, I need some height, and I need somebody to rebound, and I need somebody to handle the ball, and I need somebody to be able to pass and distribute. I need a shooter. I need somebody to hit home runs. I need somebody to throw strikes. And those kind of people are going to be in all shapes and sizes. And every team made up in a different way, depending on who's constructing it. And so as we consider again the life of the church, it takes all of us. It takes every bit of us being a part of that central unity. And in the diversity of the gifts that you have, don't don't come and say, well, I don't have his. I can't talk in front of people. I don't have the education they have. I don't have the finances that they have. The Lord has called you. The Lord has entrusted you with gifts and talents and abilities. Gifts and talents and abilities that are appreciated, that are affirmed, that we're thankful for. It's the hurt when people leave our church because we hurt for those people. We've made relationships, but we also suffer because we're without those gifts again. And so there's that wonder in what God builds because even there, okay, I'll use you now in different ways, in profound ways. But it's recognizing the giver of those gifts. It's recognizing what he constructs And the fact is every team goes under change and it's not the same team as the year before or 10 years before or 20 years before. The Lord continues his work. And so he's building his church. He's gathering that harvest. He's equipping workers to continue that work. And he does so in a diversity of gifts. Hear this encouragement in 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these. And we could add all of those gifts that I've already spoken. All of those avenues and ways of service that the Lord has uniquely equipped each of you for. 
All these are empowered, hear it, unity and diversity, by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually what he wants you to have and how you are called to serve as he wills. He's going to fulfill that mission. And he's going to do that in us. Us. An ordinary people. Just a people from a small township people who love the land and their families, people who seek a certain work ethic, people mainly from the same ethnic derivation, a people unified in Christ with one purpose, to render service to the Lord, to long for a better commendation, for we have been set apart as those chosen and precious and set apart to that service in grace. And so in that calling, be encouraged. In that grace given, be encouraged. In the diversity of the gifts in our body, be encouraged. But let's not sit on it. Let's not hoard it. Let's not keep the salt in the salt shaker. But as we rejoice in those gifts of God at work among us, may we remember the reason for that calling and equipping. There's a mission for sheep and grains that we are to be about. The harvest is abundant. It's plentiful. But the labors are few. So let's keep praying together that we would be called and set apart by God to continue that work in the harvest field. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, for the comfort that it works, for the grace that you provide. Father, we thank you for this authority given to some to lead us and to guide well, to show an example, Father, of love and service and good deeds. One hold to account, held to account, those who are to be above reproach. But Father, in the office of believer, you call us to that standard, to your holiness. And so, Father, in recognizing the call that you have given us to teach, to minister, to disciple, to heal, to love, to show compassion, to proclaim the good news of life from death, of being called out of darkness into your marvelous life, Father, equip us. Equip the called, Lord. Grant us what we need to go forth into that harvest field, proclaiming the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. Empower us with your Spirit, Father. Embolden us in the same. And Father, as we consider then that diversity, so many different people with different gifts, Father, remind us in that diversity there is unity. One Lord, one faith, one birth, one baptism, one call and mission. Father, grant us that oneness in the same. And as we rejoice in that diversity, Lord, different peoples, different cultures, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different gifts and talents and abilities and interests, all of them that can be used by you to bring you glory, Father, would you use them just as you will and when and where. And so, Father, may that work then. That harvest, may it begin in us. May it begin in us as a body. May it pour forth from this place, Father, as salt and light on that mission, Father, that you have given us in Christ, in whose name we pray.
Amen.